Well, last week in Romans, we looked at justification. We looked at chapter 4 of Romans, and we saw that Abraham was justified by faith. Today, what we're going to do is look at the tremendous benefits and and the opportunities of justification by faith that stem from the emancipation that justification by faith provides us. Just to review a little bit about last week, though, we were looking at Abraham having been justified by faith because he is the hero of the Jews and the father of the Jews. And Abraham was justified by faith as was spoken by the mouth of God in Genesis decades prior to circumcision and centuries prior to Moses instituting the law. So Paul is using this episode of Abraham being justified by faith to argue against these Jewish leaders who are contesting his authority and have slandered his gospel saying that Paul desires us to sin that grace might abound because that increases the glory of God and that's what Paul's teaching. And Paul counters with the notion that that is totally wrong. He's not teaching that. In fact, the wrath of God is poured out on all ungodliness. Who wants the wrath of God, he says. But then he goes on to say, well, you appeal to the law, the law being the, the Torah, the, the, the Old Testament Bible. Let's look at Abraham. How is he justified? By faith. Did it include circumcision and, and adherence to laws? No, not at all. Did it require uh, the adherence to the law? Well, the law wasn't even around. So Abraham proves that. As a matter of fact, he says, Abraham is the father of all those who believe. It's not really genetic and people have to come into the genetic pool. It is that he is the father of all those who believe. He also, in chapter 4, he talks about David, who's another big Jewish hero. And he says, David writes this in Psalms 4 verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So even David recognized that the way to get out from under sin is from the grace of God. God God just has to give that because we can't build the bridge ourselves. You know, it's pretty popular for people to say, there's not just one mountain to God, there are many mountains to God. How arrogant and exclusive it is to say there's just one mountain to God. How can you say that? There's many mountains to God. They misunderstand the Scripture. The Scripture does not say there's one mountain to God. It says there's no mountains to God. We can't build a mountain high enough to get there. That's why God had to come to earth in the form of Jesus Christ and become a man to redeem us. Because we can't get there anyway. We're all sold under sin. And we saw again in 3.8 when he says, they're slandering my gospel, then Paul immediately says, what then, am I better than them? No. We're all sold under sin. In fact, he says in 3.23, starting in 21, 3.21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all, And on all who believe, there's no difference. No difference between Jews and Gentiles. For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. We're going to look at that phrase, glory of God, uh, in today's lesson. Being justified freely. How? By His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's the emancipation. And now what we're going to do is go into chapter 5 and look at not only at the emancipation, but at the tremendous benefits and opportunities the emancipation gives us. What are we emancipated from? Sin and death. What's the agency of sin and death? The law. So now you can see what he's doing to these antagonists, these these contesting leaders who say, you must also have the law to be righteous. He's saying, actually, we've been freed from the law because the law is the agency of sin and death. You see how he's just turning everything on their heads. Why? Because his gospel is being threatened and he wants to make sure that these people in Rome, these Gentile believers whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, are equipped properly so that they can continue to spread the word, the, the great news, the gospel of the free gift of Jesus Christ and the tremendous benefits and opportunities that come from that. So chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith. Okay, So that is something that was freely given and it is a done thing. I have talked to some people who are uh, unhappy with the notion that this seems like we have no choice anymore. And they say, well, what then? You can choose to be justified by faith by freely giving or sorry by receiving the free gift uh, but then you have no choice anymore you can't give it back how, how can that how can that be the free choice of man well you know we don't get to choose everything have you noticed how many of you chose to be born anybody okay see no seeing no hands What would happen if you decided that you did not like your birth situation and you wanted to start over again and have a redo? How how would that go? Or you decided, I wish I had never been born. You could take your life. Would that mean you never existed anymore? you just wake up in a different spot. When Jesus gives us the, the illustration of what has happened to us when we're freely justified, He uses the allegory of birth. It's a new birth. And birth is something that we don't really do anything but receive. It's not something we choose to have and don't. Well, what happened to Joe today? Oh, well, you know, he decided he didn't want to be born today. Maybe he'll decide again he wants to be born next week and he'll show back up. We shouldn't fill his job just yet. No, that doesn't work that way. So, therefore, having been justified by faith, we're in this new walk. We have this new life. We've got all these benefits now. And I'm just going to read down through verse 9, and then we'll go back and we'll see all these benefits. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by His life. A lot of great things that come from being justified by faith. Now, going back to this whole argument that set this whole thing up, it is a reality that these contestants of Paul are making the basic assumption that if you could sin and still be justified by God, that of course you would. I have a friend who I talked to about this at one point. He grew up in a traditional setting, uh, one of the mainline denominations, and he said, he said uh, you know, I always thought sin was the fun thing to do and the fun way to live life, and what you do is just give up a little of it just to kind of appease God. And, and I think that's a pretty typical way people look at things. Why wouldn't we? It's sold to us every day 24-7. That the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is the way to get life, is the way to have fun, is the way to get all your needs met. And in fact, all those things are death, slavery, and wrath. So Paul is flipping that on his head and saying, actually, true life comes from living this substitutionary life. So let's look at these points. Having been justified, we have peace with God. Well, peace with God's a pretty big deal. Why is peace with God a pretty big deal? Well, we always want to have peace with uh, the law enforcement, don't we? Does everybody, when you see someone that has a uniform and a gun, uh, or you see a car on the side of the road that has the stripes and the police stuff and a siren on the top, don't you just kind of check yourself to make sure that you know you 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 look okay? Maybe glance down at the speedometer. Just make sure that your foot's not too heavy right then. I had a circumstance where I I, I was going through this personal training type thing, and this guy he helped me my my physical wellness immensely. But in order to do that, he had to stress my muscles a lot, and particularly my core muscles. And what I learned was core muscles give you all your balance. And it didn't think anything about it, but we were at a sporting event. And this guy, he was a plainclothes policeman, came up and said, you shouldn't drive tonight. And I said, why? And he said, you're obviously very drunk. And I said, no, I actually don't drink. And so he said, well, prescription medication maybe? I said, no. I said, here. And I breathed on him, which is an unusual thing to do. <laughs> he said, oh, well, could have. And I thought about it later, and what had happened is I'd gotten a really, really t- tough core workout that day, and I didn't have any balance. I was just weaving around all over the place. I was, I was stumbling. Okay, so that, that's, what, that's what he saw and reacted to. Well, I, I was in jeopardy there of not having peace with the... With the uh, powers that be look over it look over uh, Romans chapter 13 real quick and we'll see that this is really connected in Romans chapter 13 he's telling us to uh, submit to the governing authorities 
And he says in verse 3, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. The presumption here is that the rulers are doing their proper job that God gave. God instituted human government to prevent violence. And he did that in the Noahic covenant just after the ark landed. He did that because he destroyed the world because the world had been filled with violence. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to cooperate and love one another. Verse 4, For he, the ruler, is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. There's a reason why policemen wear guns. It's to shoot us. That's why they wear guns. And they won't shoot us unless we are doing so or refuse to submit to their authority. Therefore, oh sorry, he's a minister, God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So sometimes people will say, well, God would never pour out his wrath on Christians. Well, if you have gotten a traffic ticket, you had God's wrath poured out on you. Because he gave us government to execute wrath on us and anyone else that breaks the law. Because law is there for law and order. Now, there's a whole thing about when government's not doing its proper job that would be a completely different conversation. But you see here, the wrath of God is built into the world. It's natural consequences and it's physical structures that he set up. In verse 9 of Romans chapter 5, he actually says it explicitly that we do not want the wrath of God. And we have deliverance from the wrath of God. And the way we have deliverance from the wrath of God is that His love is poured out, His grace is poured out, and He gives us the power not to walk in sin anymore. Because sin brings death. Sin brings wrath. And even though we've been reconciled with God, we can still walk in the sin and death if we so choose. And what a big point that Paul's making here is, we no longer have to do that. See, before we have the Holy Spirit in us, it's really we don't really have the power to overcome. And when He brings His love into our heart, and He brings our Spirit in our heart, we actually do have the power to overcome, although it's our choice whether we use it or not. So we have peace with God. This is good news indeed. We also, verse 2, have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace. Well, it would make sense that if we've been saved from wrath, we would stand in grace. The hit Broadway musical, Le Miserable, is one one of the biggest hits that's ever gone to Broadway. And I think we've seen it five times. It's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal production. The, the songs are outstanding. But I believe the reason why that story grips people so much is because it's about Romans 5, 6, and 7. You have this constable named Javert and this convict named Jean Valjean who stole a loaf of bread. And he got five years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his hungry nephew or some relative. And he tried to escape. He got another 15 years. And so the, the, the story begins with these prisoners breaking rocks. And Javert says, Now prisoner 24601, 
your time is up and your parole's begun. You know what that means? And Val John says, Yes, it means I'm free. Javert says, No! Follow the left of your itinerary on your parole papers. This badge of shame will show until you die. It warns you're a dangerous man. Under French law, anytime you went somewhere, you had to show your parole papers so everyone know you're a convict. Later in the play, Javert says, Men like you can never change. You are a lawbreaker. And lawbreakers need to be punished. And I'm going to be watching you. And the minute you break the law again, you're coming back to jail because jail is where you belong. And so you have this contest. Because Jean Valjean now goes and in short order breaks the law. He steals some silver from a bishop and Javert catches him and comes in and says, I knew it wouldn't take long for you, vermin like you. And the bishop says, no, no, no. I gave him this. And you forgot the best part, the candlesticks, to go with the silver. And John Valjean takes this gift and he decides, I'm not going to be under the law anymore. I'm going to throw away my parole papers and I'm going to live a new transformed life because of this gift that I've been given. And John Valjean becomes the mayor of a town and the creator of an industry and the employer of many people and the savior of an individual woman and her child. That doesn't matter to Javert. Javert tracks him like a hound notwithstanding because he broke his parole. He didn't show his papers so everyone would know he's a convict. You must not live a transformed life according to the law. You see it? But no, Paul says, we stand in grace, in favor with God through Jesus. We don't just have a pardon from being executed. We have our parole papers thrown away. And we have this gift of silver, this gift of grace from which we can build a transformed life. Did we belong to be in jail? Yeah. But what we find is Javert in this play realizes he's just like Paul, uh, sorry, just like John Valjean. He's no better. In fact, in fact, John Valjean is better than him. And he kills himself. He can't live with that reality. Well, that's that's what's happened here. What we all want is to be freed from the law and to live under grace. And we have the power to do so. But we must use it. Well, we have this grace into which we stand. And so we rejoice in something. In hope of the glory of God, the doxa of God. Now, this glory of God thing is another... It's like a Christian slogan. It's just like in Sunday school, if someone, if the teacher asks you a question, you either answer faith or Jesus, right? That's always the answer is faith or Jesus. And, and if, if you have a why question, it's always the answer is always glory of God. Glory of God. Why, why, why do you do what you do? Oh, glory of God. What's your hope in life? Oh, glory of God. What does that mean? Glory of God. Jesus? Faith? 
Well, well, let's look at that. What does this really mean? Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Well, let's just look in Romans where we have this phrase, glory of God, or glory is is talked about. We saw in chapter 2, verse 7, we saw that eternal life as a reward goes to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. And where does this happen? It happens in verse 5, but in accordance with the hardness and impenitent heart, he's talking to these Jewish... Uh, well, he's actually talking to anyone who judges others and then does the same. He says, You're treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. So there's this time where we come to God and our deeds are evaluated. Now, whose child we are and whether we have estrangement from God is not evaluated. Why? Because that is freely given. And he makes that point with, uh, with, with Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Apart from anything he ever did or will do. But there's still consequences for our actions. There's still rewards and negative rewards for our actions, our deeds. And look what happens. We get this expanded life as a reward if we patiently continue to do good and seek glory. Seek glory from who? Well, obviously in this context, seek glory from God. So one thing to glorify God is to seek glory from God and make as our top priority that we please God over pleasing men. That takes great faith because pleasing men, men give you immediate feedback whether you're pleasing them or not. And God's pleasure takes a matter of faith because we can't see that. We have to see it through the eyes of faith. So that's one aspect of glory and one way it's used in this, in this letter. 3.7 says, For the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory. Why am I judged as a sinner? And this is part of his saying, and why not say, let us do evil that good may come? Because Paul asserts that when we sin, the glory of the uh, sorry, the grace of God increases. Every time sin happens, his grace increases, because you cannot outsin the grace of God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, and God is therefore glorified. There is this kind of undercurrent in a lot of people that say, glorify God that I get that says God kind of depends on us to glorify Him. Poor God. So, I mean, if, just think about if you were in His place. He made the world and nobody cares. You know, somebody's got to care. Now, my, Mom and Dad, they're lonely. Let's, let's at least go take them lunch once a week, you know. Well, come on. That's not the case. Everything's going to glorify God. Even sin glorifies God. So it's not that we're de- that He's dependent on us glorifying Him a certain way. And in 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, what is glory? If we had time, we could go to 1 Corinthians 15 and see that the sun has a glory and the moon has a glory and the earth has a glory and all their glory is different. What glory is, is just when something's essence is seen clearly by an observer. That's all it is. In Philippians, Paul says, their glory is their shame. 
Because their whole life is run by their belly. Their appetites run their life. And as a result, they show that their true nature is one big appetite. And so that's shameful and that's their glory. Because you're seeing what they really are about. Well, we fall short of the character and and, and, and attributes of God. How do we do that? We're sin. God is righteous and we're sinful. It's our nature. It's our condition. Look at 420. I just licked my finger to scroll my iPad. Some habits are... Yeah, some habits are... Don't... don't uh... Okay, so 420. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, faith giving glory to God. So here it is. We've got, we've got Abraham, and he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to do what God asks me to do because I understand who He is. He is a maker of promises who keeps them. And you know, we see this in John 15. When we have Jesus' um, uh, words flow through us and people see it, it actually glorifies God. Well, why? Because they see and say, well, I know that's not that person doing that. They're not capable of it. I'm seeing God come through this. It's an opportunity. Uh, look at 8, 18. 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, because you know, there's a lot of suffering associated with being in this world, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. There's a restoration of the whole creation that's underway. And we are an integral part of it. And to the extent we allow the sufferings to refine us, prove our character, cause us to become servants here, it will elevate the role we play in that restoration to come. And he says, I no amount of suffering here compares to the ability to be a part of that restoration and to, and to be an integral, asp, an integral uh, component of making everything back whole again that will then reflect creation as it was intended to be by our Creator. So you see this hope of the glory of God actually has a lot of components to it. And in fact, we take the glory of God and express it into this world when we live the substitutionary life. Well, back to Romans chapter 5, chapter 5 verse 3. Uh, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. Well, again, if we have this this integration with uh, with the creation... As we, as we walk Jesus' life in this world, we're bringing a little bit of restoration in and around us. And we know that God has a purpose for us. And when we have per- perseverance and tribulation, it makes sense. What a huge benefit of justification by faith. Now, the contrast that to I must, I must measure up or God's going to squash me. That's a horrible burden to have to live under. It's like Jean Valjean who always has to be looking over his shoulder because Javert is on his trail, hounding him. 
And he knows he can go back into prison anytime. Well, we don't want to live like that. Verse uh, 3, sorry, verse 4, and perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So now, because of this justification of faith, freely given, we're filled with God's love. Now, let's go back to John Valjean again. Uh, we are guilty. And we deserve life in prison. And we are bad people. Javert's correct. People like us do never change. We'll see that in chapter 7. Our sin nature never gets better. I will argue it gets worse. At least mine has. Gets trickier. Comes up with more ways to knock me down. But we don't have to live under that. We have a new life and a new power that we can walk by. We can put to death that old man. We can throw away the parole and live a new life. What an amazing benefit. Verse 6, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See how unconditional this is? Before we did anything, just like, just like Abraham. And then we believe. And then it's imputed to us. And then we get the, all these gifts. The love of God. The Holy Spirit. So much more in verse 9. Then, having been justified by His blood, we'll be saved from His wrath. We've talked about this already. Through Him. But if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Saved from what? Well, we already made it clear that we don't have to live life a certain way to be justified by God. So what would we be saved from? What's clear here, we're all under sin. We're all guilty of the law. What we're saved from is this hounding, punishing Javert who's after us, wants to condemn us. And he'll do it through people like this, through these contesting authorities. And they use the condemnation to get control of us. We're free of that. He'll use your conscience. who You know you're wrong. But he'll come in and say, but you've done too much for God to forgive you. Not of this. Or, conversely, he'll say, you need to do this one yourself. You can, ref- you can do this. You can reform this. Well, both are contra- contrary to reality. We shall be saved by whose life? His life. The whole opportunity here is to take our life as it was and set it aside and now live His life. So you see what, what Paul is doing here as he's saying these people are saying that we get righteousness through obeying the law. We get death through the law. It's the agency of sin of death. What God has given us is He's poured into us a new life. And that new life is what saves us from wrath. That new life saves us from slavery. It saves us from sin. It saves us from the law. Verse 11, Not only that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Some people will say, the gratefulness to God should be enough 
that we would live this substitutionary life. And I, I won't argue with them. Maybe that's true. But the reality is we're given many, many, many more reasons why this substitutionary life is in our best interest to live. I don't know about you, I need them all because my flesh is strong and wants to be in control. Verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So, who sinned? All. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who's a type of him who was to come. So, law is therefore the agency by which sin comes in and kills us. It's not the deliverer, which is what these guys are claiming. You, know, you have to be in order. You know, you've got to be saved by grace, sanctified by the law. Uh, you know, you've got to obey the law in order to justify that you were actually saved. The only way you know if you were saved is if, if, is if you follow the law. Or any version of you have to. And Paul's deal is, no, you don't have to. You don't have to. You get to. Because the law is our killer. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense, Adam, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounded by many. Have you noticed how, verse 15, the free gift is not like the offense. Verse 16, the gift by the grace of the one man abounded to many. Verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Before who? God. We saw last week there's a justification before men that has to do with working our uh, faith, putting our, sorry, putting our faith into action through good deeds. That's before men. That has nothing to do with before God. That comes by faith alone. Verse 17, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, Adam, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, gift, gift, freely, 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 gift, 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 freely, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, Jesus, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So what is Paul setting up for righteousness to come through? The life of Jesus. And where does the life of Jesus come from? It's poured out in our hearts. And how do we live it? By faith. By the law? The law brings death. The law brings slavery. The main thing we want is out from under the law. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounds, abounded, grace abounded much more. Much more. 
Every time you pour in one liter of sin, you get two liters of grace. Much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So now what Paul does is restates the slander. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? If you start with the presupposition that you can, so you ought, then you would be on the side of the objectors. I had a friend in high school. I played sports with him. And he said, once saved, always saved. I've got my fire insurance policy. Now I can do anything I want to. I, I can't argue with that. Paul, Paul would say that. You can do anything you want to. I'm told. He ended up in jail. He did anything he wanted to. But there's consequences to all the decisions we make, the actions we have. Wrath is built into the world. Death and slavery is the consequence of sin. So now what Paul's going to do, and we'll do this next week, is he's going to now lay out for us the fact that although we can, why it's in our best interest not. And in fact, although he'll tell us why we shouldn't, the bigger emphasis is on what we should replace it with. You know, it's impossible to go through life thinking of not pink. But it's very possible to go through life focusing on blue. And what Paul's going to do, and from this point on, is he's going to focus on living the substitutionary life. Because we've been given life, we've been filled with life, and it is the life that saves us from the death, the slavery, and the wrath. We still live in a sinful world. We still have a sinful nature. But His life delivers us from all those things. Guilt, regret, they all have a place. But none of them are supposed to reign. What's supposed to reign? Life. No matter what you've done, what you've thought, how bad you've been, the grace of God much more overcomes those things. No matter how bad it is. If Satan is telling you that your guilt can't be overcome, he's a liar and the father of lies. If you feel trapped, and if you feel in chains to something, it may be because you're trapped and you have chains. The way out is through the life of Christ. We don't have to live under the law. Throw away your parole paper. Take the grace of God and the candlesticks and the silver. Buy a new life. God, thank you for the wonderful gift that you've given. This amazing grace that you've bestowed upon us. And this life that you've poured in us. May we not miss one opportunity from this point forward to live the substitutionary life. Help us have a transformed mind about who you are and what you've done for us, Lord, that we may not miss out. In Jesus' name, amen.